It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What is it like covering the NBA from the bubble? Will the players actually observe the bubble the entire time? How will this new format affect the actual play on the court? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by friend of the breakdown, Mark Medina, who is a USA Today NBA reporter and a guy who's been on the show since the beginning, practically, Mark, and is now reporting from the bubble. So, um, Mark, does it sound like bubbly when you talk because you're in the bubble? <laughs> that that would be funny if uh, we could produce some <laughs> sound sound effects. But no, uh, I think it's just it feels like an alternate universe, but there's no quirky sound effects with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, <laughs> let's get into the mind of like what it'd be like to have to, to commit yourself uh, to what, three months plus of being in this isolation, basically. Um, I suppose before you left, were you like really afraid to go out or do anything because you couldn't you didn't want to risk getting you know infected? Uh, yeah, well, I've certainly taken uh, the coronavirus seriously, as everyone should. Um, so I've followed the social distancing rules. Um, you know, I've stay at home when I can. I've really only ventured outside when I go for walks or runs, get some occasional takeout, go to the grocery store. Um, but I think I felt personally, as long as I was doing that, I was fine. So when it came to the option of should I, would I be willing to come down here? I, I give USA Today a lot of credit. There was no pressure whatsoever. If I felt uneasy or if I felt this was too long of a commitment, uh, there, there certainly wouldn't have been anything held against me. But I think the reality that I came to grips was with this. You know, right now, I, you know, I'm not married. I don't have uh, kids. So I think if those two variables were a thing, I would have said no. But I figure since you never know when you would have this opportunity to do it, take it. And then the second variable I had was, do I feel safe enough? And look, there is no such thing as a zero risk option, as NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has said. Uh, but the more that I had done reporting and writing about this issue because it's my job, um, I felt very convinced that this was the safest environment that I could be in. Um, and I can obviously walk you through that and go into detail. But I think, uh, you know, if it wasn't for how serious the NBA has taken this, I may have had second thoughts and thought, you know what, it's not worth it because I'm seeing what's going on in the country. But here it's a very unique setup that's almost, you know, uh, not even affected with what's going on in the rest of the world. Sure. Well, you know, let's jump around a little bit because that's how I like to work. And let's talk a little bit about like, you know, you're out of this out of the quarantine at this point. So how different is your job right now and how you're covering the teams versus normally when, you know, this is not an issue? Well, it's substantially different for a lot of reasons. Um, One, you have 22 teams in one area. So in theory, you can go to like four, five, six practices a day, um, but logistically it's very tough. You have to email teams 48 hours in advance. 
Um, you have to account for shuttle times. You have to account for teams maybe ending practice early or ending it late. And then just things come up. Uh, and then other than that, you we, we watch the first 15 or last 15 minutes of practice. That's something that's normal. Um, but when you're there, you're you're not floating around. You have to stay in one area. You can't make that small talk of pulling people to the side because of social distancing concerns. And then when you have these interview scrums, uh, there's fewer people because there's really only 15 to 20 people here uh, from the media. Um, but you have to be six feet away from people. And every group interview, they're also talking through Zoom. So what jumped yeah. out to me these last few practices is even when someone on site is asking a question six feet or more away, they are instructed, don't make eye contact with that person. You need to stare directly into the Zoom camera because that's primarily where people are watching these interviews. So it's a lot of weird logistics, as you can imagine, uh, you know, hiccups, trial and error. But there is a feeling that, look, there's greater concerns going on in the world and everyone's kind of in this together to, to figure it out. Well, do you feel like you get, is there maybe a deeper level of access or not? Uh, than, or, or is it more like an all-star game where it's kind of really controlled and you never get a chance to really interact? Like you're not walking by and saying, hey, Kyle Lowry, how are you doing? That kind of thing at all well, on the campus. Well, I think it's the opposite of the all-star setup because there, were, there are substantially fewer people. Okay. But it does feel like the all-star setup where you're not getting special access. Now, the, the primary driving force with that it's the health and safety concerns. Um, but there still is value for someone like myself and others who are down here because we're the eyes and ears. We can report what it's like to be here. Uh, you know, there are a lot of league PR officials here that can answer certain questions, connect us with folks. And I think, you know, even if it's not the same one-on-one -on -one kind of access, I think, especially as this plays out longer, just that FaceTime, that eye contact, as small as that seems, that's a gigantic difference compared to just hearing a voice through Zoom. I think, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. I'm sure you're sharing the same sentiment. Ever since this pandemic hit, um, I've quickly become tired of having conversations through Zoom. So I think anything is, is, an up, is a substantial upgrade compared to that. Oh, I hear you. Trying to listen and learn on a screen can be a challenge, but not when you're using Masterclass. You can learn an incredible amount with the highest production value by heading over to Masterclass.com and choosing online instruction from over 75 experts in their fields. Even their YouTube ads are mesmerizing. I never skip them and can't wait to dive into Ron Howard's film directing class and Neil deGrasse Tyson's scientific thinking course. I'm going through Steph Curry's masterclass on shooting, and it's been eye-opening to say the least. And no one has studied his shooting mechanics more closely than I have, and yet I'm still learning things straight from the source. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass, and as a b-ball breakdown listener, you get 15% off the annual all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash b-ball. That's masterclass.com slash b-ball for 15% off Masterclass. 
Well, let's get into some of the news of the day as far as like the players and what's actually happening, the normal stuff that we would talk about. Um, yeah. You know, we ha- we've had some interesting injuries. I kind of want to throw this out there, and I don't even know if, if what you might feel about this, but um, you've been on the practice courts. It looks to me like they're in um, like ballrooms, and to me that means they're putting these courts on like uh, originally what underneath the where it would be like you know carpeting which would seem to me to cause an issue with the surface or not. But uh, I'm just kind of curious, when you're in there, is, is that what they are? Is it like, are they just glorified ballrooms with, with hardwood floors in there? Well, yes and no. The, the court surface itself is normal. Now, the setup, you have three different venues uh, at ESPN Wild World Sports Complex, and they are basketball courts okay. facilities. So you have the arena, which is like the main arena where the games will be played and then they have the visa athletic center and then the hp pavilion so you have three of those now there are basketball courts at a hotel called the coronado so when you walk into the coronado it does have a ballroom you know hey am i going to prom am i going to (laughs) am i going to this you know regional work conference feel to it but when you walk into that meeting room, they have courts set up and it doesn't feel like you're on carpet at all. It is a, Hey, I'm walking into a practice facility. So I get, you know, to answer that, I I don't sense that setup is the cause of injuries. What I sense, um, it's two things. One injuries happen in practices. I think that is applicable to Ray John Rondo because it was a thumb injury Hey, he's a guy who likes to get his hand caught in the cookie jar, right? I think the other injuries have to do with the fact that they haven't played since March. Guys are rusty. Guys are out of shape. And that's unfortunately a byproduct of what often happens when you're not playing basketball for a substantial period of time and you're not in the best shape. Um, what's the biggest name right now that we've heard about injuries? Would you say, you know, I guess we talk about Bagley. We're talking about anybody else. Yeah, we have. Well, I mean, today... Um, you know, Marvin Bagley's out for the season and Justice Justice Winslow out for right. the season. I would say those are the two main guys simply because it's out for the season. You know, Rajon Ronda, you can make an argument that he is a bigger impact because even if he's not the 2008 Rondo that helped the Celtics win a title, he still has that playoff Rondo reputation. But he is, as of last week, six to eight weeks. So I guess that's five to seven weeks. So there is a window and the Lakers are confident that he can come back at that point. And that, if you look at the timeline there, that would be toward the end of the first round, beginning of the second round of the playoffs, assuming uh, the Lakers aren't privy to a first round upset. Okay, fair enough. Now, have you been hearing or seeing any evidence of, uh, did, did, did anybody get better? Did anybody improve anything? Uh, does it seem like there's any difference? Or was, was there a stasis while we had to wait for this whole thing until we restarted? Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, f- frankly, I-, I don't have that window. I watched 15 minutes of a Lakers scrimmage at the end of a practice, and I was at a Rockets practice. But what I also realized with this is that their media happened before practice. And then when you're able to see the first 15 minutes, they're not doing anything. So <laughs> I don't think we're gaining a window into that. I think we will get more clarity when scrimmages start and that's happening this week. And then I think a bigger extent is once the season opener happens on July 30th, because these scrimmages are going to be uh, glorified exhibitions. Who knows if they're going to play the main guys. 
I think at some point they do want to play the main guys, but it's going to be conservative minutes just as a way to ease the workload increasingly without having the injuries. So all I can go on is what they say, but I also feel like when you go into training camp, everyone says they're in the best shape of their life, right? Um, and I mean, you're not hearing that. for sure. No one's saying that right now, right? Well, no one's saying that right now, but you are hearing from guys like Anthony Davis and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and James Harden, hey, I was really getting after it with the quarantine workouts. I was staying in shape. And, hey, the the quarantine allowed me to recover from different knickknacks during the season. That's kind of the yeah. thing you're hearing. And I, I think it's all real, but what does it mean? Who knows? Because it's inevitable that no matter how great a shape these guys have been and taken advantage of the downtime, they haven't been playing a competitive game since March. They haven't been playing five on five since they started getting down here two weeks ago. So you connect the dots. They're not in the same kind of shape as they once were. Uh, now, have you had a chance to see quote unquote skinny Harden? I mean, I've seen him in person, so I can, his frame looks great. I haven't seen him really play. Okay. But um, does he, does he I, look, does he really look thinner? He looks, he looks fine. I mean, nothing dramatically jumped out to me, but I guess the good thing is I didn't look at him and think, oh, man, he put on a few, right? He looked right. fine and normal. Um, okay. Nicole Jokic, same thing. A, a lot was made of his weight loss. Um, it didn't jump out to me on the Zoom call. So, I mean, you take it for what it's worth a Zoom call. But it didn't look like he put on extra pounds either. So I guess it's a good thing. But the Nuggets were saying that he was really getting after and that he did lose weight during quarantine. But in fairness to that, he had been losing a lot of weight during the season because he had improved his diet and uh, workout regimen. Um, and I think it was a combined like 20, 25 pound loss. So we'll see how it plays out during the season. Well, so what are you thinking here? I mean, I know the first eight, these eight games are probably, we, we can compare them to preseason, right? Like you mentioned, they're going to not play everybody. Uh, but there might be an added notion here that there really isn't an incentive for the top, top teams. They're already in the playoffs. I even wonder, is there even an incentive for home court advantage at this point? Well, I would clarify this. The scrimmages I categorize as preseason games. I think the eight seeded games, it's definitely not an exhibition. But okay. it's definitely not a playoff game, and it's definitely not the games of what you're saying. Hey, win to try to get home court. But I think there are some over overlapping elements here, right? You have the top-tier championship contending teams. They don't necessarily care about wins, especially because there's no such thing as a home court advantage. And I think when you're looking at the Lakers, they have a five-and-a-half game lead over the Clippers, it would take a lot for them to give up the one seed. Um, so if you're buying it for chasing matchups, that's kind of set in stone. But at the same time, I think these championship teams want to build a rhythm, get into the condition that they want to, so that when August 17th hits, begin the playoffs, they're ready to go. So I don't think it's going to be, hey, they're resting their guys. They want to start revving the engine up because it's been in the garage since March. So you have that tier. Then the second tier, teams like the Pelicans, the, the Trailblazers, the Memphis Grizzlies. Every game counts here. Uh, this is where uh, their chance to make the playoffs is here. So those games 
they're going to be competitive, but they're going to be sloppy because guys are out of shape. And the stakes are high, but uh, the sense that I get is that they're not going to be playing the guys 40 minutes a night. Um, but it'll still be a competitive game. It might be ugly, but I, I think in this climate, especially for fans, that, hey, at least basketball's back. I think they'll take a competitive game, even if it's not well played. Um, and then you're going to have the third tier where it doesn't look like they even have any shot of making the playoffs, the Phoenix Suns, the Washington Wizards, the San Antonio Spurs. And you wonder what is their engagement level going to be? Uh, I would think as much as the coaches want to preach, Hey, there's still a mathematical chance. Hey, let's build habits for next season. I think their end game is, you know what? Let's just get out of here in one piece. Right. right. Um, so you do wonder at what point do they start checking out after kind of the initial wave of excitement of the first two games or three games of, Hey, basketball is back and all that. And maybe that's not good for them, but maybe in a weird way that helps the other tiers, you know, the top tiers of, Hey, this is a game where we don't have to spend all our energy, but we're getting guys a good sweat for the second tier. Hey, every game counts. I'll take the W to help our playoff chances. So I do get the larger concern of, Hey, why have these extra teams that seem like a long shot to make the playoffs that only increases the risk. And I get all that, but I would counter with two things. One, I am confident in the health and safety protocols that the NBA has implemented. But number two, you don't want to say these teams are guinea pigs because they are human beings, but they can help in serving a larger purpose for the other teams of getting themselves ready for the playoffs. And that can improve the quality of play and reduce the chances of injuries happening. You know, I'm kind of curious because it sounds like they're all practicing in that, you know, uh, we're, we're going to get married and, um, they haven't maybe necessarily been in the arenas they're going to play in. And there's not going to be fans in these arenas when they play. So I'm, I, to me, as a shooting guy who studies shooting, that might be a challenge because the background is so much different and like darker and there's not a lot of contrast. Have you heard any inklings about how that play might be affected by having an empty arena? Yeah, uh, I think it's really – it's one of these things that the teams are aware of the challenges with everything – but it's just until you experience it, you just don't know. Now, we have gotten a sense from the league on what the setup's going to be. I mean, generally speaking, you know, there's going to be some social distance protocols with like, you know, the benches and how far apart there are. They're going to add, you know, certain like plexiglass of the scores table, all that stuff. But as far as the setup itself, I think that they are going the courts, the court, the baskets are the baskets. And I think to address some of like the depth perception of, Hey, there's no fans. There's going to be a lot of signage because of the NBA brand, the social justice matters, all those things. And the seats itself, you have to keep in mind that this venue was for AAU tournaments for college basketball tournaments, you know, the attendance capacity was like eight to 10,000. So it's the, the stands aren't as big to begin with. 
And so I think because of that, they're able to block that a little bit, and it's not as noticeable as it would be if it was, say, at Staples Center in Los Angeles, where it's, you know, just under nineteen thousand fans. Sure. Now, where were you? Where do you guys get to sit for during the games? And and by the way, how is that going to work? Are you going to be able to bounce back and forth? And there's three games going on at the same time. I'm assuming. So how is that going to work? Like summer league? Well. You know, it's summer league in the sense that the the buildings are close together, but I don't think you can bounce back and forth oh. between games. I think it's you're committed to one game and that's it. Um, and the seats, I think that we will get a better view of the of the court. Uh, that's cool. I, I like that <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> um, you know, it's going to be awkward. I think for the players, the coaches, the first few games. It's unavoidable without fans for the players. That's something they feed the energy. You know, they, they get energy off of that. They're used to that positive reinforcement. They're used to that negative reinforcement, the pressure. I think for coaches, you know, Frank Vogel, the Lakers coach, was saying on a conference call to me a few weeks ago, you know, during the playoffs, you're, you uh, often feel like you have to yell out plays because the crowd is so loud. Mm-hmm. And here you feel like you almost have to whisper it because the TV mics will pick it up. Other coaches will hear it, players. But I think all those things, after the first few games, I think it's they're going to get past it and it's going to feel normal. I think the larger challenges are going to be the conditioning issues and then just the ongoing safety protocols of you know what so far it's good uh they announced earlier that there were zero tests uh since last uh, zero positive cases since last week how well can they keep that up i I think those are going to be the two larger themes than fans and no fans for sure for sure i actually have this theory that uh the coaches will have more influence because you'll be able to hear them much better like from the bench. They won't be drowned out, and they could actually be barking out the orders and controlling more of the game, perhaps. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a good point you raise because I can see that, and then at the same time, at least for the <laughs> early stage, there is less coaching involved simply because the travel parties were limited to 34 people, and teams across the board made the calculated decision that they're going to load up on having up to 17 players on the roster because they feel it's inevitable. You got to have players available. There's going to be injuries. There might be some positive cases. So there's going to be roster fluctuations all the time. And then number two, load up on medical personnel to handle those injuries. And so there's been the casualty has been there have been there have been fewer assistant coaches that have been oh, able really? to travel. Yeah. And, you know, they rationalize it because, hey, load up on medical personnel, load up on players just to maximize health and safety and depth. And also they they value coaches, but maybe they can do these things through Zoom, have the assistants watch games, you know, remotely. They can give the reports remotely. But there are a fewer assistants that are going to be on the bench than in normal times. So I can see, to your point, maybe a heavier influence of the head coach of certain plays. But there's also going to be less coaching in the sense of he's going to have fewer assistants to give him tips, feedback. And he's going to have fewer assistants that can talk to players individually. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it's it's a really tough thing that, that coaches are dealing with with this. Well, speaking of this bubble and being in and being out, we've had a few players that actually have had to bow out and leave. Um, I'm wondering if there's updates on a couple of the guys because I don't know. It wasn't clear to me if they're going to come back or not. So I guess let's start with what well, the headline is. Zion had to leave. Do we know anything about what his story is, if he's coming back? Well, the, the Pelicans believe he's coming back uh, in time for the season opener on July 30th against Utah. But there hasn't been any updates since they announced last Friday that he was leaving for an urgent medical matter. Um, so here it wasn't is his the, medical matter, right? It was like a family thing. Is, do we have any? Yeah, they said, they said it was a family thing. It wasn't okay. him, but the thing is once you leave the campus, then the quarantine goes into play. So for him, so in normal circumstances, if you leave the campus for whatever reason, you have to go back into quarantine for 10 days. But the NBA makes exceptions if it's pre-approved. So this was a pre-approved issue because it was a family medical emergency. And so for those protocols, uh, he, he might have to only go into quarantine for four days as long as he's continuing to get tested every day and they're all negative tests. And he also has to be in constant contact with uh, a health specialist. So my hunch is he's doing that for obvious reasons. So now it's a matter of when's the day he can come back and then you add four days. So if you're adding the math here, he's probably going to miss most, if not all the scrimmages. Um, and that's obviously valuable time for him to, you know, get going and all that. Um, some better news for the Rockets, Russell Westbrook, he announced last week that he was positive for COVID. But you have to keep in mind, last week was the announcement. He was positive for COVID before that, when the team left July 9th. So for him, Mike D'Antoni, the Rockets coach, said that he was going to be arriving anytime soon. I think he's already here. So now it's a matter of he'll have two days of quarantine. As long as it's negative tests consecutive, he'll be good. So there is a chance that he can uh, participate in the scrimmages. Now, Mike D'Antoni said for Friday's scrimmage, which is the first scrimmage, it might be a little too early for that. He doesn't know. But he was confident that I think there's a scrimmage Sunday and Monday that he would or Sunday and Tuesday that he would be able to participate. Okay, that's good to know. Um, now, uh, Patrick Beverly, I think, had to leave, right? Montrose Harrell. Oh, Montrose Harrell? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what? I'm looking on the right now on ESPN. It says Clips Beverly exits for personal issue. I don't know oh, what that means. I guess that's breaking news. That um, might be breaking news. I, I mean, I hadn't heard of it until I just figured well, I'd call up while we're talking. But uh, okay, but wait, well, what happened to Montrose Harrell? Because I didn't hear that either. He he left a few days ago for a, a family issue. Okay, so, so the same thing? Yeah, so he hasn't been back. His situation would be the same as Zion, that the, the day that he comes back, presuming that he's been tested every day and getting negative tests, he would have four days in quarantine. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, Pat, I guess... Beverly, yeah. Beverly, you just broke some news to me. I, I don't know what that is, but... The thing you have to keep in mind is the NBA has been mindful of all these human things. Um, if it was pre-approved, 
you can reduce the quarantine. Now, in Rashawn Holmes' case, that was him breaking the rules inadvertently. So he had to be in quarantine for 10 days. And I guess if you're connecting the, if you're looking at the timeline, he should be back out of quarantine just now. What what was his inadvertent mistake? He, he stepped out of the bubble. He was trying to get food delivery. (laughs) Okay. Wow. And that, and that wasn't pre-approved. Like that was just a mistake here. These other cases, you know, this is them talking to the team. This is the team talking to the league. You know, there are no surprises that they're issuing the 10 day quarantine as well as no pay, you know, as a uh, incentive to make sure that people are breaking the rules inadvertently and to maximize health and safety. In the case of these family emergencies, because they're given a heads up and they know it's not a health situation, then it's then there's a little bit more leeway with that. Fair enough. I, I had been talking about a month ago with a, uh, a player about uh, we were taking bets, the over under for who's going to, how many, the percentage of players that are going to violate the bubble. And uh, <laughs> he, he said, he said, take the over, <laughs> whatever it was, take the over. Um, I think it's interesting because it seems to me there's a novelty to this and there's a real focus, but I, I wonder what happens three weeks from now, five weeks from now, when people, you know, you have to imagine everyone's going to get a little bit complacent here, right? And it seems like, oh, what could possibly go wrong? Um, do you, is there anybody been talking about that or that notion? And, and like, by the way, how easy is it for you, if you wanted to, to walk out, just rock right out of the bubble? Are, they, would, are there like flashing lights and is there uh, people going to tackle you? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, there, I'll be honest. The first, uh, when I left quarantine on Sunday, I, I was a little paranoid, but what I realized is they have signs, you know, they say, do not pass this. And there's guards and they help monitoring everything. Now, to be clear, if you leave the campus, like the NBA isn't a law enforcement agency. It's not a government agency. Like they're not going to tackle the players, but they will <laughs> know that you left the bubble. And they're like, yeah, you have to go in quarantine. Um, I'm not naive to all this. You know, this is a long ordeal. I don't think as time goes on, people are going to be complacent. I I think if anything, it might be the opposite only because of the, these two things. One, the NBA showed last week that they're holding players accountable that leave the bubble. And number two, the games are starting and I don't think players want to be the people that that F it up for their team. Right. But, what I will say is no one should be taking victory laps over, hey, zero negative cases. That's good news. Uh, it's a good sign, but this is a long haul. Uh, this is, you know, three, two more months of this or just under. So a lot can happen. Um, but I think I think if things are going to happen where it's, this doesn't work out. I don't think it's going to be because of negligence. I think it's just going to be because, you know what, this is a serious virus and it just has a way of finding cracks, no matter how much effort you make to try to prevent it. For sure. For sure. I mean, the real question is of the, of the superstars in the NBA, you know, they're not used to being, you know, told what to do in this setting. And yeah. I'm just kind of wondering, uh, you know, uh, some of them I know, uh, I'm sure are, are going to be really towing the line here. And other ones, I, there might be some wild cards who might think, you know what, I'm, I'm a superstar. 
Yeah, well, I think there's some really good incentives here that could safeguard that is only applicable to these players. Or not only applicable, but it's a unique thing that drives them. The ability to win a championship and finish the season and also maximize their earnings and also recouping their losses. And I think those have a ways of keeping their behavior in check. I mean, we, we know in normal circumstances how differently players behave when they're on a winning team and also when they're on a contract year. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of magnify it here. Um, and then the the third part of, hey, you know, guys trying to find the loopholes, I think that they saw early on the NBA – they got their eyes and ears out because they got a hotline. They have people surveying the campus and they're going to hold them accountable. So as much as it was not great that this early on two players left the bubble, a, I think to their defense, it was kind of by accident. They didn't know where the boundaries were, but even if it wasn't the NBA made swift action, they, they didn't look the other way. So I'm convinced that those things will, control the human behavior okay fair enough well you know i just kind of as we wrap it up i I figure i want to get a quick glimpse into what your life is going to be like so you're going to get up in the let's say it's a game day um i suppose there also will be practices during the games or like certainly scrimmages whatever so i suppose you have to decide what you're going to do and where you're going to go and what you're going to cover or is it sort of all when the games start how does that be how is that decided for you 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 know i'm just I'm bracing for organized chaos, basically, because I I think particularly for me, I don't cover a specific team. I'm a national writer, so you you have to have your eyes set on everything of the major stories, things you can do. So for me, you know, I'm going to pay attention to the marquee games, but I'm also going to pay attention to, okay, what one-on-one access can I get with certain players, certain teams? So it's going to be this ongoing seesaw that you're balancing of okay you have the games in place but how do you balance that with the teams that aren't playing that day maybe they have an off day availability where you can get something um you know what about that morning shoot around is that valuable and and the thing that's tough is because of the health and safety concerns the mba is requiring all of us to submit our plans 48 hours in advance. So you have to do a lot of long-term planning, but also knowing that it's going to be subject to change on a moment's whim. So I think in the grand scheme of things, this is what has been our world the last few months. Now, this is very much an insular sports perspective, but it fits the larger point of, you know, things are fluid, things fall through the cracks you know, well thought out plans sometimes get disrupted and you just kind of have to roll with the punches. So I'll take it. It's basketball. I'm safe and I'm working. So <laughs> now, what about anything social? that comes up isn't that big of a deal. Well, what about socially? Do you get any time where you can, I mean, you can't go out to dinner, right? Like that's not a thing you can do or, or, or can't, or is there a setting like that where you can meet up with a couple other writers and, and, and eat something or how does that work? Yeah, you could. I mean, there's a lot of the the options are limited here. We have uh, a gym, there is a pool, and then you can get food, but just grab and go. Um, You can take some walks, but it's very limited, the property. 
And, and mask and on so, the whole time, right? Mask on the whole time, yeah. So what happened on Sunday when we were all out of quarantine, you know, we all wanted to get a view of our surroundings. And that evening, a bunch of us uh, got together, you know, NBA PR staff and writers here. We hung out by the pool area. We had food. We had wine. We enjoyed each other's company, socially distant while wearing masks. Um, I'm sure there will be those moments, but then at the same time, I mean, this this whole setup's 100 moving 100 miles an hour, where now we're going to practices. They're running all day. These scrimmages are going to be, you know, mid afternoon to late evening while there are also morning shoot arounds. And then once the games start, it is summer league NCAA tournament st- style from noon to late at night. Um, you know, frankly, I don't think we're going to have a lot of time to really, you know, be social. So I think the free time will be just get whatever rest you can unwind a little bit here or there, get a workout. But you know what, this is kind of just the sprint to get the season over with through October and then just see what happens after that. So no shotgunning beers with Myers Leonard, huh? (laughs) You know, I, I, not with Miles Leonard because we're we can't uh, intermingle with the other hotels, uh-huh. but there might be some temptations where it's like you know what <laughs> this has been a long day I will shotgun a beer but so far I haven't done that yet. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, for coming on the show again. As always, uh, tell everybody where they can. Everyone knows where to find you, but just in case there's a stray straggler, let them know how to find you, like on Twitter. Uh, well, you're too kind. Well, I work for USA Today, so you can go to the USA Today website. I mean. It's a national newspaper. It's delivered to like every hotel, airport. It gets delivered anywhere in the country. Um, and then Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina. That's M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. Instagram is Medina Syracuse, M-E-D-I-N-A-S-Y-R-A-C-U-S-E. And I'm here in the bubble, so I'll, I'll have all the goods of what's going on down here. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on. We'll have to do this again a little bit later when we get more information. And, uh, Don't forget, sports fans, a b-ball breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Mark? Oh, I'm in.